when we sense that God has put work in front of us that needs to be done, maybe work that we are uniquely positioned to do, work that we have the gifts to get done, we just might run for the hills, right? Because we don't want to do it. For a little bit like Jonah, like we talked about last week, it might be that we just say, God, I really, that is just not something that I want to do. It's not something that I want to get involved with. That's what Jonah did. He ran in as far in the opposite direction as he could go. And maybe we'll say that, or maybe we'll sort of couch that in other terms. We'll say, God, I've got too much to do, right? Or we might say, like some people did in the Old Testament when they were called to be prophets, God, I'm just not good enough to do that. I'm not, as, I'm not as good as you think I am, even though we know God knows everything about us, right? They might be excuses. They might be, well, maybe a little bit of truth to them, but whatever they are, we can come up with a reason why we can't do what God wants us to do. And we're dealing with that in this series that I'm calling, What's Your Answer? We're thinking about, okay, what, what do we do when we see something in front of us that, that we know needs to be done, that will have an impact on the kingdom of God or some people in need or whatever it may be. And, and God's put us sort of right there in the path of this work. And God has gifted us in ways that allow us to do that work. And maybe our experience has led us in that direction as well. And here it is, and we've got to make a decision. What's your answer? Are you going to answer yes? Or are you going to say, you know what? I think I've got 12 reasons that I can't do the work that God has called me to do. And we're using the story of Jonah because Jonah deals with just those kinds of questions in his mind. Am I really going to do what God called me to do even though I don't want to do it? And sometimes, if I'm honest, I can be a little bit like Jonah. None of us really want to admit that because Jonah makes some pretty bad decisions here. But there are times when some of us will, when we see work to be done, maybe we don't run in the opposite direction. Maybe we don't go get on a ship and head as far away from what God has called us to do as we possibly could be. But what we might do are things that are a little more subtle, like make excuses, or maybe we just, maybe we just sort of pretend it's not there, right? If I just ignore this long enough... Maybe it will go away. Maybe the need will resolve itself and I won't have to do it. Maybe somebody else will do this work and I won't have to do it, right? And sometimes I do that. If I just, if I just pretend it's not there, if I block it from my spiritual field of vision, it just might go away. And then when I look again, it'll be gone and I won't have to worry about it. And in many ways, though more subtle, that is exactly the same thing that Jonah did. And I can stand just as guilty as he did. So what do we do? Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've said something like, well, I want to give other people the opportunity to do this ministry. And that might be true, or we might be saying, you know what, I don't want to do it. And I sure hope somebody else signs up, right? Or, or we've said, I'm just, I'm just too busy even though we rearrange our priorities for things that really do matter to us. Or we'll say, you know what, it's a busy season now, but when things calm down, then I can take that on. And we know full well they aren't going to calm down, but that allows us to just put it off a little bit longer, hoping that it will go away. And yes, there's some truth in some of those excuses, but 
but then they really are excuses. So what do we do when God calls us to do something, and maybe we've even been ignoring it for a while, how should we respond? And I think Jonah teaches us some things. Jonah has this way of, of sort of setting an example on a few things and then giving us a really negative example, how not to handle this in some really big ways. And as we come to chapter 2, we see a little bit of both going on. We left the story of Jonah off last week right at the end of chapter 1. He's in the water because God called him to go to Nineveh and preach against that city. He got on a boat to go as far away from there as he could. And while he was on that boat, Scripture says that God appointed a great wind to blow against that ship to the point that there was this storm that nearly sunk it. Jonah is identified as the person responsible for all of this. And he says, the only way to solve this is if you throw me overboard. In other words, if you kill me. And part of what Jonah is saying in that moment is, I would rather be dead than do what God has called me to do. Okay? And so the sailors who were not Israelites throw him overboard, the sea calms down, and then they offer vows and sacrifices to God. And there's Jonah in the water. And like I said, that's where we left him. And you know, if you're in the middle of the Mediterranean, no shore in sight, no ship in sight, you're going to die. And that's pretty much what happened to Jonah is he was in that situation thinking that he was going to die. And then we read the last verse of chapter 1. Now the Lord, and this is the special Old Testament name, the Israelite name for God, Yahweh, provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So now God appoints a fish. He appointed a wind. He appointed a fish. He's going to appoint some other things before this story's over to teach Jonah some lessons. Now, we see that fish. I can remember being a kid and was told, well, this, this is not a whale because it's a fish, right? Whales aren't fish. But remember, all right, Old Testament times, they don't have all the same classification systems we do. They'd have called a whale a fish. So whatever it was, it was big enough to swallow Jonah. That's what we know, okay? And we know God can do what God wants to do in those kinds of situations. But it's this fish that really saves Jonah's life. And he's in there for three days and three nights. And you can imagine there's not a lot of entertainment in the belly of a fish, right? So there he is. What are you going to do? You don't even know when the sun is coming up and when the sun is going down. Well, Jonah had some time to reflect and to think about what had happened and to pray. And what we have of the time Jonah is in that fish is a record of the prayer that he prayed to God. And what strikes me is, and we talked about this last week, when Jonah is on the ship before the whale, before he gets thrown overboard, when he is on that ship and they say, what do we do? Jonah didn't say, let's pray to my all-powerful God, the God who made the sea and the land. He says, throw me overboard. But now finally... Jonah decides it's time to pray. It's time to talk to God about what has happened and what will happen. And so we have a record of that that fills almost all of chapter 2. And it begins this way. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, to Yahweh, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to Yahweh and he answered me. 
From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And we have this picture, okay, of Jonah in the water. And he goes on to, to paint this. It's a word picture of drowning is what we've got going on here. Jonah thinks he's going to drown. He's got the sea that represents for the Israelites chaos. And it must have felt that way as he was in the sea with the breakers over him, the waves crashing. And he just knows that he's going to die. And in fact, it says, from the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help. That that phrase, the, the realm of the dead, translates over from Hebrew the word Sheol. And Sheol is the realm of the dead. It is just that. Before Jesus sort of paints us this new picture of, of what eternity is going to look like, the Israelites had this view of death as the shadowy existence where you are part of, apart from everything that is living and ultimately apart from God, just like ashes, okay? And that's what Jonah's thinking. He's thinking, I'm, as, I'm right next door to Sheol. I'm next door to death. I am as good as dead. That might be the way that we would say it. I'm as good as dead. Next to dead. Left for dead. That's Jonah in this situation. He feels like he just might as well give up because there is no hope. When he's in the water, that's how he feels but he prayed. Now, the good thing is, is Jonah prayed, right? He came to the realization, now's the time to pray. At first, he wanted to die. They throw him in the water and he recognizes, you know what, I don't think I want to die after all. So it's time to pray, finally. Could have done that in the boat, could have repented, could have prayed to God then, but he didn't. Instead, he waited till he's in the water about to die. Now, Jonah sort of, even in the midst of this prayer, doesn't mind reminding us that he made some righteous choice, choices like praying. There's a little pride that seeps in even in his prayer. Sort of this, I prayed a good enough prayer that even when I thought I was going to die, God listened to me. And then, I mean, I'm a pretty good prayer for, for, for God to hear me then. There's that sense in Jonah's prayer. So again, it's good and bad, negative and positive that we can learn from Jonah. What Jonah really needed to do is humble himself in God's sight and recognize his need. But he did pray, and God did answer his prayer. Now, what strikes me is that Jonah was scared to death while he was in the water, and once he's in the belly of the whale, he seems cool as a cucumber. I don't think I react that way, okay? But he did. Somehow he knew God <clears throat> was keeping him safe. He continues to paint that picture of near death until we come down to verse 6. He says, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. In other words, he was going down as deep as you can go, and he knew what was coming next. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. I couldn't escape. But you, Yahweh my, my God, brought me up, brought my life up from the pit, from the darkest place, basically from Sheol. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And again, I, I, I thought to pray, finally. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So, see, here, even in the midst of this, Jonah has got to remind us that he prayed a good prayer, and he's got to remind us that there's people that are worse than him. Okay, there's these bad people out there that worship idols, and God doesn't respond to them. Now, God responded to me in my good prayer in the midst of this crisis, but 
He doesn't respond to everyone. So what's your prayer going to be? Is it going to be a justification of how good you are? Or is it going to be going humbly before God, recognizing your need to repent, and then asking God to be at work? But God did answer his prayer. Verse 9, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from Yahweh. Now it's interesting that at the end of chapter 1, we have a, sort of what we might call a parallelism. At the end of chapter 1, we have these non-Israelite sailors praising God that he has saved them from this storm. And what do they do? They offer sacrifices and they make vows to God. Jonah, the prophet of God, doesn't get there till all the way at the end of chapter 2. And now Jonah finally is ready to do the same. Now, it should have been just the opposite. Jonah should have been leading those sailors in worshiping God, in thanking God. But instead, he's the one that caused the big mess. And only after he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish is he ready to do what he should have done from the beginning. But finally, when he comes to that point, we have verse 10, and Yahweh commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, that could not have been a pleasant experience either. I'm just sure of that, right? And we don't know exactly where Jonah ends up, right? We don't know what place he is, and we'll pick that story up again next week in chapter 3. But what do we learn from this prayer from Jonah? The, the positive and the negative are there, but what can we learn from both sides of that in Jonah's story? And I think it's this. Choose to pray when you sense God at work. Now, the negative part is Jonah should have done that long before he did. The positive is when God acted and saved him, he finally did recognize this. When he was in danger, he prayed. And now that God saved him, he prayed. Jonah finally figured it out. Let's be the ones that figure it out before then. So when we recognize, like, like God said to Jonah, go preach against the city of Nineveh. Couldn't have been clearer, could it? He should have gone. He should have talked to God then. If he had reservations, that was the moment. And when we sense that God is calling us to do something for him, maybe something that we're even a little uneasy about, and that might happen. That doesn't mean we're bad people if we sense that God's called us to do something that we're not sure we can do, that we're uncomfortable with, that will be a challenge to us, to our schedules, to our families, all those things. That does not mean we're bad people. It probably means we're normal, okay? But in that moment, that's the time to talk to God and to say, God, I need some help here. God, number one, I need to know for sure that this is what you're calling me to do. Because I want to know that. I want to know that you're asking me to do that. And it's okay to say, God, can you, can you be really clear here so I know just what to do? But it's when, when we're sensing God asking us to do it. Let's pray about it. Let's pray about it. And maybe we might even say to God, God, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm capable. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I have the experience. I don't know if I have enough time. God, I need some help in this. That's the prayer. 
But maybe, maybe it's already a little too late for that prayer. Because you sensed what God was asking you to do. Instead of praying then, you've done what a lot of us have done over the years. You just tried to block it out. You tried to ignore it. Well, you know what? What Jonah teaches us here, one of the positive things he teaches us is it's not too late to pray. Even if you have tried to avoid what God has called you to do, it's not too late to pray. It's always time to pray. So even if you've ignored what God has called you to do, maybe you've, you've not gotten on a ship and gone the other direction, but you certainly haven't done what you sense God was wanting you to do. And, and maybe you've sort of done other things than what God said to do. It's still time to pray. It's time to pray and say, God, I repent of that. I repent of ignoring you because I know that was the wrong choice. Now, we sort of miss that in Jonah's prayer because it's more about, I thought I was going to die. I prayed a really good prayer and God noticed it. Maybe our prayer needs to be, God, I'm sorry for ignoring what you wanted me to do. I'm sorry I made excuses. So God, can you take me now and do what you want to do with me, through me, to me, whatever it takes? You see, we may all find ourselves in different places. And that's okay. But the message for us is when we sense that God is at work, it's time to pray. Now, here's what I know. We look around in our world, whether it's just right, like in our community, maybe even in our family, or we look in our nation across the, the globe. There's no way any one of us can fix all those problems. There's no way all of us together can fix all those problems. But what I do know is that in the course of my life and in the course of your life, God is going to lay some things in front of you that you could do. And he's going to say, here's an opportunity. You may be uniquely positioned to do something for God because of the people you know, because of the experiences you've had, because of your giftedness, because of your time. God may have things that you can do. And my encouragement to you is when you recognize that it's one of those times, it's time to pray. It's time to talk to God about that. It's time to invite him to be active in your life. Because God may be ready to do things that you never expected him to do through you and with you. And you can make an incredible difference on the people around you. Let's pray together. God, we come before you and maybe some in the room are even thinking, yeah, I know, I know God's wanted me to do something and I've not done it. Well, God, we just pray you'll help us. We don't come before you with pride because we know we're all sinners. We're all in need of grace and forgiveness. We want expressions of your love present in our lives. God, what we do is we come humbly before you and say, God, we don't We don't have as much to offer you as we'd like. 
but we have ourselves. We have the, the talents you've put within us, the time you've given us. And God, we pray that you'll help us to use them for you. So show us how to do that. And if we've missed something, remind us. If we've ignored something, open our eyes again. And God, forgive us where it's needed. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And maybe today, one of the things you've ignored is God's call on your life to submit yourself to him, to commit your life to Jesus in faith and repentance and baptism. If you're ready to make that commitment, we'd love to know about it. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.